On this episode, we talk about the FA Cup final a bit. We also talk about Jose's antics and the Dortmund heartbreak. And we discover a potential source that could have brought Arsenal the Premier League title. This and much more on the Tokitaka podcast. Hello listeners and welcome back to the Toki Taka podcast. We gathered here to discuss the football games that have happened in the recent few days and weeks. We had the Premier League ending. We now had the end of the La Liga, the end of Serie A, which has interestingly ended with two teams on the same number of points and a relegation playoff looming after 18 years of time. Interesting stuff coming up and to discuss this and much more, I have the usual band, RK, Radhaji and Ashwin. So guys, how have you been? The FA Cup final has come and gone. Man City triumphant. So not very happy United fans here. They are getting a lot of stick. What's What are the talky points? RK, let's begin with you. Not the FA Cup, I presume. Yeah, not the FA Cup. I don't want to think back to De Gea's miss on that second goal. Uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of United fans who are hoping that his contract is not renewed. But but the treadmill is that it's going to get renewed soon. Uh, my talking moment is, however, on a different plane altogether. It's, uh, it's basically Anthony Taylor, uh, you know, leaving the uh, airport at Budapest with his family and the Roma fans really coming very close to, I mean, actually harassing the family as well. It was really scary to watch. Uh, we also haven't been very partial towards Anthony Taylor, but I think, you know, abuse and uh, physical harm is on a different level altogether. And uh, I think Mourinho's role in that was also has to be talked about. He should probably get a punishment for uh, like doing actions which actually incited, incited fan behavior. So, I mean, for me, that's the talking moment. Uh, of my week and, and however much we hate refs and talk about their performance this is not at all deserved for you know doing your honest job yeah it's not as if i mean unless proven otherwise he wasn't trying to actively hurt jose's team right he he took a call it was the wrong call that's that's fine i just found it very interesting that there was a chair chucked as at Taylor and his family and there's this police guy who just swats it away it's and his expression is like I've seen this a thousand times I'm like I'm used to shit like this anyway not not good scenes to see but uh, yeah we'll talk about Jose a bit more in detail um, Ashwin what's it going to be for you Gundogan I love how you're trying to you know like almost uh, provoke us into di- discussing the FA Cup final but uh, I'm going to talk about uh, probably another pain, and that's Dortmund uh, throwing the title away. Uh, but there's this one moment uh, after the game that just signifies signifies how great a club and how well connected a club Dortmund is to its fans. Uh, so right after the uh, game, when Dortmund lost the title, uh, Eden Terzic and his team went over to uh, you know uh, you know just you know approach the yellow wall and you can see like all the fans applauding them for their efforts in uh, in the season this wasn't a team that was supposed to win the title i would have probably given 
I would have probably said that, you know, the likes of Leipzig would have had a better chance compared to Dortmund. Uh, the the 2018-19 team led by uh, Far probably was closer to Bayern in that respect in terms of winning the title. But uh, yeah, I mean, Dortmund pushed them. Things didn't work out, but it, it was just a, an amazing moment to see and to watch after the game. Yeah, I don't think uh, when we did our predictions before the season, we had Dortmund winning the Bundesliga anyway. But uh, yeah, heart heartbreakingly close to winning the league. But there shall be another year, hopefully. Right. Finally, Radhaji, don't tell me you're going for uh, uh, for the Gundogan goal. I don't know. I think Swagat has got some money to keep bringing up Gundogan in our talky moments of the week. Um, but good evening, guys. Anyway, for me, it's... Uh, let, let me summarize the talky moment uh, like this. See, si, senor, give the ball to Bobby, he will score. I think I called it last episode. Um, I had already pre-decided my talky moment of the week. Um, since then, I think we've had a home game and an away game and he ended up scoring in both. Can't ask for more. Um, absolute gem of a player, gem of a guy. is so absolutely lovable. Every Liverpool fan, I think, will struggle to see him leave. I don't think losing Mane comes anywhere close to this. Um, although Mane has got prob- done a lot for the club, scored more goals. All of that, but I think losing Bobby will be very difficult for the entire fan group. Eight years, he was quite synonymous with the Klopp era as well. And if you think back to when Klopp first started, Adam Lalana, James Milner, Jordan Henderson and Bobby Firmino. These were the four names that perhaps right from the beginning they've been there to um, to all the way till now. And losing Bobby, I think it will be a big, big, big loss for us. But nothing but happiness, nothing but pride. Absolutely love the guy. Ever since he announced his retirement and the content coming out of Liverpool is just through the roof. There's good, they've got a new mural painted in Liverpool like they do for all their favourite players. This mural is painted on the wall of a house of an Evertonian fan. That part I like. It's just a little bit better than everything else. But yeah, beautiful. I think there's a documentary coming out as well. I'll have to pay for my subscription annually. Every every summer I do it. And this time I have a documentary to watch as well. So yeah, Firmino is my talky moment of the week, of the last few weeks. Yeah. And do we know where he's headed? Uh, there, were, there were talks about Madrid being a destination for him. Do we have any clarity on that yet? Not sure. Yeah, there are rumours. Rumours that he's... I mean, I don't think the Madrid ones are... I don't think they will be um, signing Firmino. Um, sounds like it would be like, a, I don't know, one of these clubs in Brazil, something in Portugal perhaps. Everybody will be happy. Um, I think him coming back to play at Anfield in the Europa League next season will be a nice thing. Uh, pro- hopefully for a club that really doesn't matter so much and we don't get caught up in the result of the game. Uh, that will be nice. Real Madrid would be outstanding for him. I, I mean, it doesn't come bigger than that. They've just let Benzema go as well. So maybe they'd want to sign one young striker and one guy who can just sit on the bench and uh, come off the bench and do a job. So you never know. I mean, it'll be an incredible move for him and his family. Yeah. 
And for me, my talkie point surprisingly has nothing to do with the FA Cup. Uh, it's Luton uh, getting promoted to the Premier League. Luton were one of the founding members of the Premier League and, and they did not get a chance to play in it because they got relegated that very season. So they've had parachute payments from the Premier League before they've actually played in the Premier League. But it's, it's, it's a lovely story and all those memes about uh, the away end at Luton going through 10 people's households and entering the field from windows and stuff like that and VAR being Sky TV being recorded on someone's television all all that sort of stuff but uh, jokes apart i think it's it's a really interesting story considering that they almost went bankrupt they've climbed up from the national league to the premier league in a span of something like 8 to 10 years which is which is pretty amazing and one of their players has actually made the entire journey with them so he was there uh, when they were non league and now he'll be playing in the premier league so so that's quite an achievement you know, I had kind of given up that Swag is going to talk about Gundogan. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> well done. One minute less on that guy. So, I think uh, now that you've mentioned him, let's come to the... Let's let's take care of the grenade first of all. Um, the 12 seconds in, I don't think even the commentators had settled down and and... I'm not sure if it was planned because it did seem like there was some thought to it because right from kickoff they sent it to Ortega and Ortega punted it up uh, up uh, towards the other side and it was still you would say it was a hopeful attempt from Gundogan but De Gea was a bit too slow it's 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 surprising that he does these sorts of performances and gets the golden glove as well. It's a bit like uh, DSK said on the group, like Kepa with all his performances during the season and he gets the save of the season award. But uh, yeah, I think RK men saw, shared something about the XG where Gundo's XG is 0.05 and two goals have come from that. So thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, you know, this match... Uh, you know, what Ortega did with that one pass and how De Gea performed in the game encapsulated how a lot of United fans feel about De Gea and especially after that game. Uh, Ortega did not really have a save to make, although we will talk about the balance of play in a bit. Uh, but in his passing and in his both his shot as well as the long passing and also the way that De Gea did the same things in his long passing, especially you know, the stark difference between how Guardiola has built a side even with a backup keeper and, you know, the, uh, like the work that lies ahead of Man United was laid bare. Uh, of course, that goal was a shock, but United, I was uh, very afraid about how United would respond to, you know, go, uh, like going a goal behind after 12 seconds, having had, you know, a lot of, a few really bad performances uh, away to big teams. So, uh, United fans were bound to be sceptical but United I thought reacted very positively to going behind that early. The pressing shape was especially very intelligent you know blocking the centre of the pitch and kind of uh, using Ericsson slightly higher up along with Rash to press the double pivot so it, like City found it really tough to build out from the back. They had a lot of position with the keeper and the centre backs but they had to go through the wide areas and gradually United started to you know, get into the game, get into good territories, get good shots off target. Uh, I think one regret would be that we didn't force Ortega or test his skill as a shot stopper much. But I think City were 
uh, you know, way below their best and part of that credit goes to United. Uh, we were very lucky to get an equalizer. Uh, I think I would still count it as a penalty. There were a lot of differing opinions on whether that should be a penalty or not, but it was a clear handball to me. Uh, so although it was an unnecessary error, it, it still was a penalty. I think we were lucky to get back into the game that way and then they just threw it all away again. So, you know, one of the, like, if you ask me the two main themes of that match, uh, one would be the keeper battle and how Deheya's deficiencies were laid bare. And second was how good United were in controlling the game without the ball, controlling the pressing shape. Overall, I think it was a very close match, which should ideally have gone to extra time. Yeah, I think I think uh, it was a really good tactical battle, right? Uh, obviously, Ten Hag knows uh, uh, Pep Guardiola well from his uh, Bundesliga days as well, um, and uh, we were all expecting the double pivot. Uh, and credit goes to Pep Guardiola for using John Stones of all people as one of the mid- midfielders. He's playing like well, Pep Guardiola himself, right? And uh, so we, I was expecting um, Bruno to start on the right and. You know, us making the shape very narrow. Um, RK reference to Ericsson pressing. I I don't think he did it well enough. Uh, And that is something that I think you've got to expect with Ericsson, right? Like he is someone who huffs and puffs, but like he he, he can't, like he can't have the same level of energy that other players have. Um, Obviously, City were forced to play through the fullbacks. Uh, that meant that Walker had more of the ball. And then Sancho, I, I still felt that, you know, he's not, he, he's good, but he's not fast enough. Uh, so that meant that, you know, we were always like uh, playing against, you know, a stronger opposition when it comes to like man to man as well. Um, I think uh, we were lucky to get back into the game. Uh, again, I felt that was it was it was a penalty. It could have been fifty fifty, but if we hadn't got the penalty, that would have been the controversy we would have been talking about, right? Uh, and now it's probably the City fans who are uh, calling it out. In the end, it did not matter. It was great to see Haaland kept in bay as well. Uh, he did get a few shots, but it wasn't like his usual self where he's like scoring two goals every game. Um, and as far as De Gea is concerned, I think the first the first goal was like uh, uh, the first goal came out of nothing. It was like a total lapse of concentration. I felt like you know uh, we needed like all the eleven players to step up, and like in this in this particular game, I think it was maybe seven players who did step up, and like four or five who, or four players who kind of you know uh, let us down. The second goal, you could maybe argue that you know. De Gea saw it late, but then you're a professional keeper, and you, I mean, even if you see it late, and he did, Gundogan did not get a good connection on the ball, even so, I think he could have arguably saved that. Um, I think Ganacho was great towards the end. He uh, he did have some really close shots, and you know, one of them could have even gone in. So we we could have been talking about a different game altogether. But I'm really happy with how United played overall i think we we were all expecting like a proper mauling of sorts um, um i know as far as the xg is concerned we actually ended up having higher xg than city as well so that that does goes to show that you know uh, we did not play as bad as we 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 had feared um but yeah i mean it's probably you know the only only way anyone could have stopped city from winning the treble was this 
um i mean with all due respect to inter milan um but yeah it was a meant to be so congratulations to city and pep guardiola rather unsurprisingly both the united fans think it was a penalty that united got <laughs> like it's no surprise at all uh but did did yeah i didn't i didn't no i didn't think it was a pen i thought it was i mean we've seen so many of those not given this season but actually we've also seen those given so i still don't know what the hell a penalty is uh, anymore he his hand was like he was in the air his hand was close to his head and um, i mean he wasn't even looking in the direction of the ball so i thought it was unlucky um i thought city was just okay i think uh, they got i mean they scored of two non chances pretty much they played decent enough i think they played created some chances uh, towards the end i think they just got come on let's just see this through and go to the champions league final i like i like i was saying in the last episode i think if ever there was a chance of them losing it would be this game and not the champions league final i think they were there to be taken perhaps but they also had that real city steel of getting the job done scoring to unpredictable probably low low probability goals gundogan being there and doing that again i mean how how often does this, i don't know swag whether you caught the game but i think gundogan did pretty well i'm not sure if you saw that um, but yeah so gundogan just came out of nowhere two amazing moments he does this so often for them i think he's like he's that you know we've had this entire era of these box to box midfielders and uh in these english midfielders who get get to the box and score goals your gerards your lampards all of that very unassuming type of guy but he's actually been the one who's carried that torch forward in this current era he's the guy who's absolutely you take it for take it for granted you'd get those seven eight goals a season from him uh consistently does it does it in big games so i mean i don't want to get into too much about the game the boys have already done that but gundogan man like what a what an amazing player and i think he'll be somebody that pep should be really breaking his back to try and replace soon yeah and i agree i felt that uh, city were there for the taking it was a pretty even game and i think so if you leave the the mauling where haland had his hat trick in the other two city united games united have given city virtually as good as they've got so uh, I, i think ten hag has not been um, how do you say too downbeat and he's made effective use of his uh, at the, of the tools at his uh, disposal he might not have gotten the result here uh, in this game but uh, nevertheless it was it was a good fight uh, that uh, united gave so there's definitely heart to be taken from there uh you know the player of the match however uh raza talked about gundogan and swag has talked about gundogan a lot as well in the pod but uh john stones i think uh, was the man of the match for me uh he he has been playing that midfield role for quite a while now in fact city's re- uh, like resurgence since march has a lot to do with one of the things has been john stones you know becoming a kind of uh, like a pivot midfielder on the ball and he also it's it's not here like uh, you know stones is not just a pivot midfielder he makes those extra man runs on the right hand channel as well you see it a few times so it's it's he has a pretty adventurous brief for that role and uh, overall the way that he has done in that role the way how comfortable he is in position 
considering that he's playing for a Guardiola team and uh, the and the last minute goal line clearance, I thought that was going in as well. So all things considered, defensively and in position, that guy has been a revelation in this role. And credit to Pep for, I mean, I don't know if he does it on purpose or if he just keeps fiddling and suddenly he finds a formula. But you know, every season he has some breakout moment like this, and it just starts clicking for his team. But I I have to like you know. Uh, the mind, you know, uh, like whichever player I'm talking about, my mind keeps going back to De Gea. So I'll just give one stat I read on Twitter as well about the second save. Uh, I don't know how genuine it is, but the stat, uh, what it said was that based on the historical data of similar shots, something close to XG, 80% of uh, your average keepers would have saved that shot. So that's... Yeah. I think that's why David Raya is being talked about as a potential replacement. Diogo Costa from Porto is being talked about as a potential replacement. I don't know, where where does Dean Henderson fit in all of this? Is he definitely heading out? Yeah, I think there's some news today that he uh, Nottingham Forest might try to sign him as well. Um, but that's the thing, right? Like, uh, the last time um, De Gea actually had a comp- someone to compete, for his place, um, he, he just turned into prime David De Gea, right? Uh, and and the moment that that does not happen, he becomes complacent. But I think I think for 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 a ten half team, you need a bit more than just shot stopping abilities as well. And the real reason that you know most United fans would want De Gea to be replaced or at least him to have some competition is his uh, you know build up abilities. He he's so uncomfortable on the ball. It's 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 a joke, and he's Spanish. So I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know, if that is something that can be coached into a goalkeeper, right? So just I mean, there've been there's been a lot of chat about goalkeepers in general. Um, so we were looking at the stats earlier on uh, on the goals saved um, in the season so far, the Premier League season so far. Uh, Dige is actually, I mean, he's not great. He's right in the middle of the pack. He's probably he's minus 0.7, which means he's conceded 0.7 more goals than his XG suggested. Um, but just going through the list of keepers that are worse than Dige, these are guys that typically Bounds are always talked talked about well. Like Fabianski, we talk about him. Ramsdale, he's conceded two goals more than he should have. Mendy, two goals more than he should have. Kaylor Navas, Robert Sanchez, Hugo Lloris, Dean Henderson, Edison. Edison has conceded 4.8 goals than he should have this season. And he's, I think what, I think I'm going to say sixth from bottom in the Premier League. So that's that's pretty crazy. There's some really big names uh, underperforming, uh, even like an average, what an average goalkeeper should be doing. So, yeah, I mean, while De Gea definitely needs to, he's not going to take United into the promised land as uh as the saying goes, but there are some real big names um, who are probably struggling as much as he is or probably even I, I, You know, I thought Radha was reading from the back of uh, Ashwin's. Yeah, I, yeah was, I, I thought the same thing. There's, there's a poster behind Ashwin which says uh, Manchester United are in the promised land and, and our YouTube viewers can probably zoom in and take a look at that. Yeah, yeah. see my... Uh, some, other, I, some other team winning the travel this time, so... I'm... Yeah, it's a it's a good season uh, to quote but, that one. But rather, you know, talking of keepers, I is is Allison top of the pile? My bet would be there. 
Oh yeah, yeah. He's been actually he's been consistently all through the season. Whenever I've checked this table, he's been on top. Uh, earlier he was on top by a distance, like he was like seven, nine, ten goals. He had saved more than he should have. And the next was actually Kepa, who had just played like some seven or eight games because he had that run of, uh, if you guys remember, save after save of save of the season after save of the season, he was yeah. pulling off in those uh, three four games that he played for Chelsea. So he was two, but very like pleasantly surprised to see that number two on the list now for the end of the season is Burned Leno. So he's played 36 games, so it's not like a flash-in-the-pan performance as well. He saved nine goals more than he should have. Uh, so he's just behind Allison, uh, who scored, uh, who saved 10.1. That's nine for Leno, and Kepa still number three with five. And David Raya, one of the names um, Swag just quoted as a potential United signing, is fourth at number. He's saved five goals more than he should have as well. So imagine if Leno was still at Arsenal, those nine goals might have made the difference between finishing five points behind City or not. I was looking at all the stats. So, I, even this, so FBref has these stats on obviously uh, post-shot XG versus goals conceded. But it also has passing stats. His pass percentage is also better than... Uh, Ramsdale's and the average length of pass is also uh, more or less consistent between the two. So Ramsdale is a 33, I'm going to say meters or feet, I don't know what they're measuring, but or it's yards. Okay, 33 yards and Leno's 30 yards. So they're also on average passing in a similar kind of manner and Leno's percentage of passes is uh, slightly higher at 31% versus Ramsdale's 25%. I don't know. I always got the uh, the picture while watching Ramsdale that he does some crazy influential shit. Like he comes up big in top moments. Of course, moments don't get shown by these stats. It could have been like many maybe inconsequential moments where Leno made his saves while Ramsdale did it when it counted. I don't know all of that. But I always got the feeling that Ramsdale had a very good season, but this was a little surprising to see. And, and what's also strange is that uh, one of the reasons for Arsenal replacing Leno with Ramsdale was the passing ability. So I always had, because of that, this impression that he's not a great passer, but this season kind of changed that for me. Yeah. Right. Uh, moving on from the FA Cup final. So that means that Pep Guardiola has won another final and there is only one person who beat him in a final. That person just lost another final, which is Jose Mourinho. So um, RK mentioned this and all the shithousery that Jose did on the pitch, at the ground, in the parking lot, all of that still could save uh, his Roma side from going down in the Europa League final. So, Sevilla have won it again, not surprisingly. And uh, they will be in the Champions League next season. But uh, any any more thoughts on um, what Jose did and what the future potentially holds from, for him? There is talk of uh, a Europe ban for him. So, basically, UEFA ban, not a Europe ban. Basically, not being able to manage in a UEFA competition. So, imagine he goes to a PSG or something but can't take charge of the team in the Champions League. That would be That would put off quite a lot of people from hiring him, I guess. Yeah, and I think I think he's leaving Roma as well, right? So it's it's not like he can he can just stay put. Uh, I think uh, I, I, I'll probably start with the game in itself. It wasn't the best game to watch, uh, and I wasn't really expecting expecting it to be a really good game. Uh, I think Roma probably shaded it in terms of chances. Uh, um, they definitely uh, could have got a penalty, but it did go to VAR. 
and VAR basically said it wasn't a penalty. Uh, so it wasn't just Anthony Taylor's fault. It was it was probably uh, the collective fault of the uh, entire uh, team officiating that. Um, Chris Smalling also, I think, hit the bar towards the end, so he could have he could have won it for Roma, and which which would have been like. Imagine, imagine the scenes if that had gone in. Imagine what Jose would have been doing. Yeah, he would have probably, you know, run to the other end and like done another slide or something like that. Uh, see, this is the this is the part of Jose that I really hate, right? And I mean, it's very well documented that I'm not a big fan of Jose Mourinho. Like, he, he's a great coach to watch when he is managing your team and he's like literally dissing out the opposition fans. Uh, for me, I remember the match against Juventus when he was, you know, when it was shithousery at its best and we somehow won the game and he was like really rallying the, uh, you know, the Juventus supporters. Uh, but these are the kind of things that you really don't want to see, right? Like he, like if you've lost it, at least have some credibility. You, you, you are like a very well-respected manager. You've won European titles, you've won Champions League titles. Um, and to go out there, call out, call the referee a fucking disgrace. I mean, as fans on Twitter, that is something that I, I expect them to do. But like a manager going uh, into the parking lot and just literally going after the referee like some bloody WWE superstar is just, it's just, it's just really weird. Um, and then obviously that, that meant that the fans uh, the fans thought that, oh, okay, our manager is doing that, so it's okay for us to do it. And, you know, they start hurling abuses at the ref and, like, uh, you know, uh, literally terrorize his family as well. So those are the kind of things I really don't want to see and really didn't like after the game. Uh, I definitely hope that Mourinho gets a lengthy ban and, uh, you know, Roma get a ban as well. Maybe, you know, uh, their fans are not allowed inside the stadium for a while. I think those are the kind of things that we really want UEFA to be doing. Roma uh, fans not allowed the... inside airports, train <laughs> stations. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, because, I mean, at, at a grassroots level, uh, I've been reading these reports on The Athletic as well, that there has been an increase in violence against referees as well. So if these kind of things are happening at the very top level, well, not the topmost level, second division of Europe, Europe. Uh, I mean, think what happens that in 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 grassroots level, right? Like people, a lot of these things are not even reported. Um, so yeah, that's my take on this. You know, uh, like before the final, I I would have wanted Jose to win because it's more fun to like watch him win than it is to lose, I guess. But and uh, also being a uh, you know ex United manager, but also I had a huge amount of you know, uh, like sadistic pleasure in watching him lose to Sevilla in a big match because one of the biggest grouses that I have against Mourinho as a United fan is when he was singularly responsible for United going out to Sevilla in the Champions League. It was his tactics that kind of resulted in a very even match in a in a tie that we should have easily won. And after that, he talked about United's lack of heritage <laughs> with respect to Sevilla. So. So, you know, that I, I always had that feeling inside me that, you know, it would be nice to also see Sevilla win, although United have had so many tough moments against Sevilla and we don't particularly like them either. 
so you know from that point of view i i definitely took some amount of pressure you know in watching morinho being the sore loser that he can be but yeah even i didn't anticipate this kind of a you know reaction to that uh, but i mean yeah i i uh, i like the only time that i have gone to old trafford is when morinho was a manager and the atmosphere at old trafford during those times you know when morinho was in trouble and everyone was blaming the glazers for it was it was a brilliant atmosphere to be part of so i i will always have good memories of that of that game but, but having said that yeah i mean my main memory if you ask me is always that the excuses that he made up against sevilla when united lost i you know i i think the best outcome of this is jose mourinho comes back to the uh, sky uh, skybox because i used to love it when he was the pundit and he used to like really school all these amateur pundits like you know jamie redknapp and the likes uh, i mean if he can come back to sky I'm... imagine imagine uh, jose sitting with uh, micah richards yeah i'm not uh, yuck but i'm not i'm not sure like uh... I think he's see I was I was completely sold that Jose is done that football has moved on from Jose Mourinho in a serious manner that his style of football is no longer something that clubs want to invest in but at the end of the day two consecutive seasons two consecutive European finals I think he's not tier 1 for sure I don't think he's I'm reading PSG which I'm really shocked about but I don't think he's anywhere near PSG level um but yeah some a, a club like roma like a underdog in their league um, maybe a, a like unpredictable cup run i think he's he can still be that guy he's shown that at roma for the large part i think he had a very strong connection with the fans as well at roma uh, i think he still does i mean the fans are pretty i i think they would be very sad to see him go so uh, that way i think he always gets that fan connection going at some of these clubs uh, he can't do it at the very top level with the, all the scrutiny and some of his tactics are just not acceptable for us as fans for teams and their expectations as well so um, but yeah i think now from thinking he was washed up and maybe should go to the studio i think he has a role to play in world football i think he can find another club i would love to see him in the studio like ashwin said i think there's still that one segment where he talks about uh, defending uh, and really school like the ashwin used the right word school he schooled the pundits on like gary revel and jamie carragher making their you, you know one dimensional random statements for for the sake of saying things and he just actually breaks it down into um, footballing principles that's one of my favorite videos to watch on um, on youtube uh, so yeah it'll be great to see him but i don't want to see him next to that buffoon mike richards will be cracking jokes and doing some nonsense <laughs> yeah i think uh, what what also tends to happen is uh, just before we move on from jose is that uh, in all this shithouseriness of uh, his this phase of his which has gone on for way too long honestly we tend to forget how he was when he was in his early days when he didn't have all this expectation on him his porto teams and uh, his first chelsea side he's always had the shithousery in him and he's often deployed that even at those times but the way his teams used to perform then was very different i think he's he's quite a complicated character in the sense that he 
he wants to i mean he needs to be loved only then he will perform etc etc so he's 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 a bit complicated in those terms but yeah let's see i'll i'll honestly be surprised as well uh, rada if he ends up at psg but that's the only name i've heard so far so let's let's get ready for mbappe and mourinho as one one amalgamated body in the, in the next season uh, i don't know anyway let's move on from that thought uh, Okay, so I did mention that Luton are up. Luton have been promoted along with uh, Sheffield United and Burnley. They will be in the Premier League next season. As will be Radha's beloved Everton, who just survived on the last day. Leicester and Leeds going down. I think, honestly, that next season, there is quite a big number of teams in the Premier League who are not very good. So, there's there'll be a big bunch of... Uh, teams who would probably be trying to avoid getting relegated or avoid getting in that scrap for relegation while on the other hand the championship will end up with tons of big teams so for, for example next season the championship has obviously leeds leicester southampton norwich west brom uh, stoke sunderland watford swansea cardiff qpr loads of uh, middlesbrough so uh, loads of teams who have the potential they have decent amount of money so getting out of the championship championship next season will be a tough ask while i think the big boys of the premier league will feast on um, all of these teams with the, with the likes of bournemouth again um, burnley i don't know how here goes here goes swag nice and early really going and messing up that relegation race for next year they, they survived don't, they don't survived. say anything just don't say anything about anyone just just stop <laughs> there's there's no prediction that can be made about this premier league relegation race now that you've said that oh there are so many weak teams some random strong teams are going to get relegated I yeah, don't know Ch- why you do Chelsea this. Chelsea may be uh, again uh, part of that group. Anyway, right. Let's move on to... I think it would be good to know uh, what our predictions were. Yeah. Next you know, episode. Swag, if, you, if you look at the table, of course, Chelsea are not going to be at 12th next season. Below Chelsea, you have Wolves and West Ham. And... You, you even have forest yeah forest might still be there but i mean you have good teams still 14 in the table so i i don't think it's it's as gloomy as what you are saying yeah let's see i think as it is uh, my predictions are cursed so we'll 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 wait for the review of the predictions in the next episode but uh, moving on uh, we we were uh, chatting about uh, which goalkeepers can potentially replace uh, de gea but any other thoughts on um, any other potential transfers i hear you uh, united are bidding 200 million for mason mount just i, I just want to make one statement first hand that i wasn't jinxing when i talked of macalister to liverpool that's happening now <laughs> oh, what a signing already these sneaky bastards they get you know they, they always get them man uh, it's 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 amazing how like McAllister uh, the, having had the season he has had wasn't linked to more clubs. Uh, I would have thought you know the likes of United Arsenal would have at least gone in for him, but it seems like he's going to Liverpool for forty five million, which I feel is a complete. You know, just, just we... one thing on this: that like the first time I really thought that McAllister is out of United's hands and probably going to Liverpool is during the. Brighton away game 
like that guy was particularly you know angry and aggressive towards bruno i don't like and that and that moment i thought okay if the transfer to united happens there's going to be some problem there's something odd here i don't know maybe well, he had decided to transfer by then well to be fair even casemiro was really annoyed at that he said bruno lately so <laughs> no so i i think last the last time we spoke about um, i'm saying bruno i meant uh, Alexis, the last time we spoke about him on this pod, we did discuss how he would be a great replacement for Gundogan, right? We we talked about uh, how Pep could have been looking at somebody like that. Leave alone some of the other clubs who are anyway looking for uh, for midfielders. Uh, we talked about Liverpool and how he would. And I also said that if we sign Alexis, then I think Mount is out of the picture because I don't think uh, uh, it's going to be. difficult i i think it will be difficult to have two players who are so suited to playing that number 8 position so mount was somebody we were linked with for a long time i thought he was going to be a free signing then i heard the 70 million number and i'm like okay interesting uh, but i don't know what's going to happen with the whole mount thing i think it will come far below the 70 million that's been quoted right now even mcallister seems to be 45 odd million which is a very competitive price i think for for midfielders these days so i think mount will be somewhere in that range uh, maybe because of the english tax he might be slightly higher but uh, but yeah so for for from a liverpool perspective we all knew a midfielder was coming uh, i think now it's not done yet i think we need at least one more midfielder i would prefer somebody who can play the number 6 because as our listeners and our our podcasters have been tired of hearing me say the biggest worry for me all season has been fabinho and while he was able to pull it back uh, to a certain extent towards the end of the season i think uh, one thing is very clear is we can't go into a season depending on only fabinho to be the number 6 i think we need to get a, a imposing number 6 uh, immediately after mcallister and if those were the only two signings that we did in the summer i would still be i would still start the season happy mcallister and a number 6 i would still start the season happy but realistically we would need mcallister number 6 and a center back and if we had the time a right back so that alexander arnold had some decent competition in four places so those would be my four four players if i had to sign for liverpool those would be one i'm just so glad that we have signed our first not yet signed but hopefully we will sign our first midfielder since tiago and i don't know maybe tiago was the only midfielder that we've signed since fabinho all those years ago so yeah it's a good sign at least that they started signing some midfielders you know with respect to mount i am i am just a bit you know skeptical not because of of how good or bad a player he is i i think he's a pretty good player but what united require in that role so whatever i have seen of mount and of course swag you can uh, also comment on that but he he seems to be a player who thrives in the top half of the pitch who who kind of his his best pressing defensive as well as you know offensive actions take place in in that half of the pitch higher up the pitch so like uh, uh, whereas and, and you can see what some united fans also talk about mount that you know that's how ten hag wants to play uh, he wants to play in a bit more of a clock way where he wants to you know Uh, you know, bring a much higher line, press higher up the pitch, forced uh, you know turnovers, and he wants turnovers to be the playmaker. That is one thought you know behind why United would go for Mount. But having watched United this season, and especially how they have struggled against really good teams away from home, one of the big problems for United 
has been the press resistance and building out from the back against teams who are very aggressive in the press, especially at their own home ground. So considering that, I was always on the impression that a United number eight should be someone who's really comfortable building from the back and taking some of the playmaking pressure out of Casemiro. I'm not sure how Mount is going to do that. That's my main concern about that role. So I I think if you're looking at um, his on the ball contributions, particularly when creating, as we were talking before the pod, is that okay? Sometimes he'll be there. Sometimes it'll be it's it's a bit hit and miss for him in terms of creation, but in terms of ball winning and stuff like that, so he can do the Ericsson role better than Ericsson, obviously. So I think if that's the intent of Ten Hag that he replaces uh, Ericsson in the starting lineup and and becomes that sort of a player, then that is fine for him. He is also a very teacher's pet sort of guy. So whatever my manager tells me to do, I'll I'll do that. I'll put in all my effort. Uh, in terms of creating from the back, he he will be okay to drop down, drop back, pick up the ball, etc. etc. I feel he's better at the off-the-ball stuff as compared to on-the-ball. On so, when you're creating, running into channels, creating space, that sort of stuff, he's probably better at. So, if you're looking at him to partner Casemiro, obviously, he's he's not going to be that good. But I think he's being looked at in more of a utility uh, sense that, okay, sometimes he can play as eight, sometimes he can... Uh, help out in a more attacking role. He's even played left wing, so uh, just just fritter around. But uh, yeah, I I mean, I would be happy for him to stay on, but I don't think that's that's happening in terms of... You know, uh, that, that is exactly the concern that I have. I think United needs someone who kind of dictates the play, controls the game. And in the same profile, I feel that Liverpool have actually got a player who has demonstrated that in his career, although his current role may not be that, uh, you know, the same role. What, whatever you described, you know, that he sometimes is also kind of happy to be on the periphery of the game, play a supporting role and, you know, better off the ball than on the ball. We have had experimented with those players in those positions. Even Van Der Beek was brought in for that purpose, How what he would bring in off the ball, although higher up the pitch. But and, like, those are exactly my concerns as well. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, to, to be honest, when uh, when we first heard the rumors about Mason Mount, I I, I felt that oh, is it is is he the person who would help us fill that void? I probably agree with RK on that. Although I I I know United fans are divided on that front. The one thing about Ten Hag that you need to know is that he 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 knows exactly the kind of players that he wants. Um, like he could almost be. Uh, Accused of oversight sometimes, uh, as is evidenced by, you know, uh, the transfer of Anthony as well. He he really wanted him, even though we already had Sancho, we already had um, uh, Rashford, you know, in the uh, in the wings. But he still ended up going for Ant- Anthony, and of course, Anthony provides a different dimension to what we have uh, with, uh, you know, those two other wingers that I'm talking about. So I was, to be honest, I I I I felt that we should have gone for McAllister. But clearly, Ten Hag thinks uh, is thinking differently. I know Mount has also played in the Dutch Eredivisie before, so maybe maybe that's where that's where he's getting all these 
you know, opinions about him for. Uh, but just talking about other other transfers as well, because um, Messi is obviously leaving PSG, so there's there's talks of him moving back to Barcelona, which which kind of reminds me of you know what United did with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo as well. Uh, although I'm pretty sure Messi would not you know be Barcelona uh, you know, like a like a toddler, um, <laughs> but but uh, that is something that is definitely. Um, you know, gathering some uh, legs, and of course, from, how can from what I to... hear, from what I hear, yeah. it's a toddler who's forcing him to make make that decision. Apparently, his kid wants to go back to Barcelona. Who wouldn't want to leave and go to and, Barcelona? And honestly, when he did leave, I think there was a little bit of a feeling that hey, they can't afford him this year. But when they move around their pieces, and I don't know. I forgot the oh my god what was the levers, buzzword levers, levers. levers when they pull those when they pull those levers and and maybe they'll be able to make it work uh, I don't know how they're pulling those levers uh, they won the league so I guess that helps but uh, can you really afford an, a Messi again I, after all the trouble that they've had over the past twelve eighteen months I I am I would be pretty shocked if that works out of course there was a mandatory rumor that. Firmino was also linked to Barcelona because I think anybody who is not employed at a club gets linked with Barcelona mandatorily uh, at any stage of the season. So I saw that rumor as well. But yeah, Messi to uh, Barcelona, I guess the way to do it is win a World Cup and come back. I mean, it can't get much better than that, um, I guess. So Ronaldo, I think, was out for a long time. It's only been two years for Messi. So not a, not like, I think he'll still be. It it will feel like it was always part of the plan, and we were only able to achieve it now. Yeah. Yeah, and that might not be the biggest signing uh, in Europe, right? Because we know Jude Bellingham is also going to Madrid, and man, like what a signing that would be for Madrid! Like absolutely phenomenal player for Dortmund over the past two three years at least. Uh, I was really afraid that he would go to Liverpool and. Klopp will make him like a bigger beast than what he is already. Uh, but having said that, I'm also worried that Madrid will win like five more Champions League with him. So, and yeah. they've already created so much space. Uh, they've let go of Hazard. They've let go of Benzema. Okay, rather Benzema has let go of them because he wants to go to the Saudi League. Apparently, he's getting two hundred million, four hundred million, something like that. But Mariano I, I, uh, Asensio. You know, but but yeah, I really think yeah. someone should uh, should try for Valverde here because they already have Shuamini, they already have Kamavinga, now they have Bellingham. Mm. There's I, I, no I don't know how way. they are going to fit in four world class players in that midfield. There is there is no chance if anybody if anybody was untouchable at Real, I think it's Valverde. You mentioned something from Ancelotti, right? Where he wanted this season where Valverde becomes a goal scorer and, and yeah, in fact, in fact, like way back when, uh, earlier, like when we were not not really looking like realistic options for Bellingham and Real was the only name. I think this was last summer, and I was I was just praying that okay, Real Madrid get Bellingham now and Liverpool take Valverde if you can. Uh, uh, but it looks like of the four, um, Kamavinga seems to be the one who's a little bit on shaky ground. At least in midfield, he doesn't seem to have nailed that spot down. Uh, too much. I uh, and uh, they've been playing one of them in at left back as well uh, more recently. So 
I I think if there's one person who's definitely safe in that midfield, it's Valverde. Uh, they also played him at the right wing when Rodrigo was uh, uh, coming back to fitness. So I think they are finding a place for Valverde no matter what. So um, perhaps prior to this season and uh, maybe there was a chance, but this season he seems to have become the favorite. Uh, um, at Madrid. So, while he would be a great signing, an absolute amazing signing for any club, I don't think he's going anywhere. It feels like cheating that uh, Real should be, Real would get Bellingham as well though. I mean, that's just not fair. Um, but, I mean, at the end of the day, Real Madrid, one of the most successful clubs of the last 10 years, I guess it's only fitting that they start acting like it as well. Yeah. And uh, another note, uh, one player who won't be having any more transfers is Zlatan, who has finally hung up his boots. And um, funnily enough, in the last game when he was being, um, when he was given a chance to speak and this was at Verona's ground he was, and they were booing him and he was like, shut up, this is the biggest thing that's happened to you all year. You're getting to listen to me and still staying and true to his character. This is when they were they were relegated as well, right? So no, they, they are in the in the in the playoff in the relegation playoff. It's it's Verona versus Spezia. So yeah, the, the... I'm pretty sure the God of Zlatan has cursed them already. So <laughs> yeah. So uh, in terms of curses, uh, Ashwin, I'm going to hand over to you. But Marco Royce seems to be a cursed, a particularly cursed individual, whether it comes to his club career or international career. Um, and we thought, okay, this time around, two points ahead, just need to win at home. Even the Bundesliga trophy is there. They sent a replica to Köln for uh, Bayern's game. And still, defending champions are still the defending champions. Yeah, so uh, I think you referenced it back uh, in one of the previous pods around Dortmund doing a lot of Spursy things, and probably Marco Royals is the Harry Kane that is right of Dortmund. Uh, I I had a really bad feeling, even though they they just needed to better, you know, Bayern's result or even match it. If I, you know. uh, they couldn't do it because. I don't know what went into them. Maybe it was the pressure. The, the start was absolutely horrendous. Uh, Haller missing the penalty. It was just showing nerves as well. Uh, and even when, you know, Bayern uh, were literally giving them chance after chance to win the, to the, to win the league, Dortmund couldn't capitalize, right? So it was probably written in the stars that Dortmund will uh, probably not win it. Um, I think I mentioned it in one of the previous pods. Uh, I was very surprised that Dortmund pushed Bayern to this extent. Probably the reason for that is that Bayern did not have a good season, right? Uh, this wasn't the most exciting Bundesliga. And I know I will probably get, you know, uh, Javsam RK and calling it a farmer's league or like whatever. But like Bayern weren't the Bayern uh, of, you know, uh, of uh, the last many editions. Uh, and they were obviously very lucky to win. Um, but yeah, it is it is what it is. Uh, again, I'll go back to saying the the 2018-19 Dortmund team that Lucien Favre led had a better chance of winning the Bundesliga than this one. Uh, this team lost Haaland. They lost Bellingham at different points in time. They, he didn't start for this particular game as well. Royce wasn't playing. Uh, you know, Mukoko 
was benched as well. He had some good games, but obviously he wasn't hard, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, it was just a team I wasn't expecting to win. But to bottle it like that is, is I mean, it will take some time to recover from that, I would say. What a bottle in front of the yellow ball, going 2-0 behind that early and that to such soft goals to concede. It was, it looked as if they were really tensed. It was almost like they didn't want to be two points ahead, uh, like, when the, like the way that they started the game. And then to actually play decently uh, with the backs against the wall and get so many clear-cut chances. I don't know what uh, like Haller was doing that day. He missed so many gilded chances. Royce missed chances. I don't know who was there in that team who had a calm head to take one chance, like one more chance. It was just, it was just really bad to watch because I, I don't think anybody except Bayern Munich fans, you know, want want Munich to win. Yeah, and I think Bellingham um, and Ashwin can probably correct me if I'm wrong, but Bellingham has had quite a sort of a quasi leadership role at Dortmund he he he's he's young but he sort sort of takes up the leadership role and him not starting i think that had uh, an impact and bayern scoring in like the 6th or the 8th minute that made their task very real and then they thought oh shit now we have to do something and and then they just panicked i think if bellingham had started he might have potentially calmed them down which is quite a big yeah. ask of a 19-year-old, but yeah, he he seems to be demonstrating those qualities. So yeah, yeah. So I, that's what I said. Like you know, the 2018-19 teams that probably had uh, more characters who can calm things down. You know, like Axel Witzel and no, I mean it. It but still, like I, I mean, even this team had like Max Hummels, like it had Emre Chan, and like those those are the kind of people you look up to and. You know, these are the kind of people who shout at the team and they're like, calm the f*** down, we can't, you know, we, we shouldn't be showing our nose. And it's it was just disappointed the way that they lost uh, uh, this one. Um, of course, Bayern beat them as well earlier in the season. I think it was just three, three or four games before. Uh, that gave the initiative in some way to Bayern. But still, like losing to Mines at home is like losing the title to Mines at home is just it's just. But what a what a goal, you know, to win the title from Jamal Musiala. That was a special special yeah. goal. We talked about him a lot during the World Cup, and we were so excited by him. And we don't get to watch him that much, but great goal to win a World Cup. Uh, sorry, win win the league. Another of the Chelsea Academy lads who's gone on to have a good career elsewhere. Anyway, that list yeah, is extremely and they came off the bench as well, right? Because yeah. at the start of the game, uh, everyone was like, oh, why is Musiala playing? Then he yeah. comes in and he scores that goal. Yeah. Oh. Finally, to wrap up, uh, I think the Premier League is over and now we finally have clarity on who's going to be playing in Europe next season. So, Man United, Newcastle joining Arsenal and Man City in the Champions League next season. Liverpool and Brighton in the Europa League and Aston Villa in the Conference League. And we don't know. I mean, if West Ham win tomorrow, they will end up in the Conference, uh, in the Europa League as well next season. That'll be interesting. But no Europe for Chelsea, no Europe for Spurs. Hopefully a chance for both of these teams to utilize the the extra time that they'll have in the on the training ground particularly with 
new managers for both of them but yeah the next season is shaping up to be a good one an interesting one you've still got one more episode to go for this season because you've still got the big one i don't need to ask for your talky game to watch out for because there's just one big one left simon inzaghi and his inter team stand in the way of a manchester city treble i'm not holding out much hope for non city supporters but the only thing that i've seen is that in the last 2 3 weeks haland hasn't been prime haland but um, he just needs a couple of chances and he'll be there so scary times ahead and we'll cover that in the next all, episode all that he needed was for you to jinx him just like <laughs> yeah i i i don't know guys i i find your lack of faith disturbing in lukaku man like come on like have we we've been down this road before let's go back to that belgium game uh that i feel really sad for him but that belgium game when they got eliminated uh i think there's some ka- karmic reversal that is yet to yet to happen i'm just kidding city are going to win the season imagine uh, what julian alvarez would end up doing world cup Premier League, yeah. FA Cup, Champions League. Only Southampton preventing this like clean sweep of anything he sees, he conquers. And I don't know, he he doesn't even play full ninety minutes. He plays like twenty minutes, and he's winning everything. Because, because, yeah, still, yeah, still hoping that Eden Zeko comes off the bench and like scores or <laughs> scores a winner against his former team. That would be fun. If, if yeah. Lukaku wins this uh, match for Inter, I'll I'll forgive him all his sins. Yeah, yeah, I think he would really cement his place as one of United's best signings ever if he if he wins this match. Yeah. yeah. And on that note, listeners and viewers considering it's already way past everyone's bedtime in India, I think we'll sign off for today and uh, keep an eye out for the last part of the season where we are uh, going to look back on our predictions at the start of the season and point and laugh at each one of us and uh, we'll do some more uh, traditional stuff like talky moment of the season player of the season team of the season there might be a few surprises coming up on that one so keep an eye out for that and for the time being bye bye see you bye.